Guys, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of SoCal Watch Reviews. I am Miguel, episode 38. P, we made it. 38, buddy. Oh, yeah. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. How, how you doing today? Yo, I am extra tired, but I'm dedicated. You understand what I'm saying? I'm here. Let's do the damn thing. We do this because we love it. We do it because we, we like talking to each other. But also, we like having guests. And uh, today we have somebody very special. Uh, from Manila, from the Philippines. The she, thriller. Is she is the thriller in Manila. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We got Eve from the Alias Steve Dan YouTube channel and Instagram account. Eve, how's it going? I'm good. I'm so honored to be invited here. Thank you very much. No, thank you so much oh, for, yeah, uh, for joining us. And, uh, and, and we love having uh, girls on the show. You will be the second one. First, we've had Kat from the 10 and 2 podcast. She was awesome. And now we're honored to have you. So thank you so much yeah. for being here. Uh, how's the weather in Manila? Um, it's been raining for a few days. And it's a bit chilly, chillier than normal. Mm. But it's hot. It's pretty hot. I hear that the Philippines gets humid, like really humid. Well, is that true? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. We sweat a lot. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. There's parts here in the U.S. that get yeah. super, super humid. Well, like I'm, I'm I'm in Cincinnati, and we get all the weather, and it's super humid. And it's just ridiculous. Like, we have smog alerts all the time. So, I get it. Okay, so mostly I've been only in humid places. Uh, I was once in Vancouver uh, during winter. So, I experienced mm. somewhere once that's not humid. And for eight days, my nose was just bleeding because it was so dry inside. Yeah. Mm. No, I bet you're... That was the first time it happened to me. Yeah, mm. you're definitely not used to that. Well, I'm... I'm I don't want to say born and raised in California because, I mean, I, I was born in California, raised in California, then I moved to Mexico City for seven years. I don't remember much because I was younger, but ever since I was 13, I came back to the States, to California. And I've traveled a lot in the, in the U.S. because of my work. And I can tell you that from personal experience, it, it, it's funny, you get so used to being in the place that you were raised or, or you're so used to living. So for me, nothing against any other states uh, or countries, but California is kind of like the place for me. And I know there's been talks from my wife and family of like, let's move to Texas or let's move somewhere else. And I'm like, well, look, California is overpriced. There's no doubt about it. And it sucks. But the weather is just, it's beautiful. It's sunshine all the time and hardly rains. There's no humidity. I mean, rarely. And it's, it's just perfect, you know? So and just like you, I mean, Eve, you hate the snow or your body hated the snow and you're used to your, your weather, you know? So yeah. cool, cool, cool. So let's, let's, uh, let's check in your, with, with the wrist. What are you, what are you guys wearing, Eve? You're the, okay. I'm wearing my fossil automatic watch. It, I think my dad got it from 2005. Very so, cool. You know, I, I heard they don't make this anymore. That's very cool. That someone says, uh, "Oh, they don't make those fossil anymore." Uh, I hope they keep making. Uh, they they make those things again. Mm. Very cool. It's kind of like a tank tank style yeah, to it. Yeah, a little a, bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was very cool. And a nice leather yeah, strap there. Yeah. You know, how do you guys, let me, let me, before we move on with our wrist check, how do you guys feel about Fossil? Um, because I, I've, I've always perceived Fossil as a, as a fashion brand. Am I, am I incorrect? I think, yeah. You're I think not they're, wrong. Yeah. they're a fashion brand, but, you know, they got some decent pieces out there. Well, they're a fashion brand with deep yeah. pockets because I think they bought Zodiac, right? Yeah, and they they got they bought part of Google too yeah, for the, for their uh, smartwatch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, so. does Fossil create or have they ever created any mechanical pieces? I have no idea. Uh, that's an interesting. Oh, this one is mechanical. Oh, okay. it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh. Cool. There you cool. go. Do you know what kind of movement they use? Or? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, she's like, let me open up the case back. No, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's find out on air. Uh, no, no worries. That's cool, though. I, I, I guess I'll do a little more research on, on uh, Fossil. I know their designs are, are pretty nice. Um, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they're cool. It, it doesn't say, but it says Japan autom- Automatic. 21 joules. Huh. Seiko movement, maybe? Seven is to six. I'm just kidding. <laughs> maybe. No. <laughs> I, I can't tell by just looking at the piece back. <laughs> no worries. Here. Oh, that's pretty cool. Has a clear display mm. case back with a, yeah. with a rose uh, color rotor. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Do you have that yeah, on your uh, Instagram account? I haven't seen it. You got to post I, that one. Maybe she did. Yesterday. You did? Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. I did, I did. We'll, we'll definitely check it out. Yeah, definitely want okay. to check that out. And anybody listening to to this podcast, she oh she did post it. Yeah, there you go, fossil. But it's not the it's not the case back. It's just the the front, right? Let's yeah. see. Here we go. I like the crown on it. It's pretty cool. It's very interesting. Cool. P, mm-hmm. what are you wearing today? Uh, the vintage oars. Oh, nice. I was yes, going to wear mine. And you should have worn yours, Eve. That way we should have. The... We could have been triplets. I know. Oh, yeah. We could have been the family. Or the Seiko. <laughs> I'm wearing the Seiko. We could have, especially fitting for today's, oh, yeah, uh, for today's uh, topic. Uh, I am wearing, by the way, uh, Seiko SARB 033. Uh, take it off the original strap. Have it on this military strap. So it's one of my favorite oh, okay. watches. Nice. Yeah. Very, very yeah. cool. But uh, yeah, no, for sure. So we, we got a, a, a ton of questions for Eve. And it's funny, I feel, I feel bad because she's a girl and it's like, we want to put her on the spot. It's like a rarity. It's like a unicorn in the, in the watch collecting. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I guess the, the, the elephant in the room and uh, people may want to know. So your name is Eve. And the name of everything on yeah. your social media is alias Steve Dan. And you were kind of explaining to us a little bit about that, but do you want to elaborate for everybody so they, they could kind of know what, what the deal is? Okay, so I started, when I started making videos on YouTube, I knew it was going to be, uh, like my, my audience was going to be mostly guys because watches are very, like, guys' hobby. And I didn't want to maybe set myself apart or get prejudiced by uh, guys saying that, oh, you don't, you, you don't know what you're talking about or, or you know, just maybe some, there, there will be some jerks out there. And I didn't want that part of me to be the reason why they do it. And also, 
uh, I didn't want creeps. I didn't want creeps to DM me and <laughs> right, right. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was thinking, what's what's a meaningful name? Uh, so Steve and Dan is a sh- like a shortened version of my parents' name names. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. That's pretty cool. Well, let me. So you said something about DMs and creeps. Obviously, I think most people know that you're a female. Um, I think, at least I figured it out. Not quickly. It it took me a little bit, but once you started like talking and I think I think I figured it out right on when I looked at one of her videos. Yeah. Right. Damn. What? (laughs) Right. (laughs) No. so. So do you get any weird DMs or? weird people same things or um not a lot there was one uh it was saying that what was it what was it um he was saying hey i watched a video and wow you speak so good english and <laughs> how many children do you have it's like what why like very invasive questions about right about me, about like, whether I have children or not, that, that was just weird. Yeah. Now we get. So I, I felt uh, it, it was a bit, a bit too personal. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, let, let's start with your origin story. What, what got you into watches and how long have you been into watches or, you know, what, collecting? So I've always been into watches as as an accessory, more like a style. And I liked having something nice on my wrist, so I was very much into fashion watches. And then my ex, he was, uh, he got me into automatic watches instead of quartz watches, because he says that automatic is the way to go. If you wanna be, if you want a nice watch, you have to go automatic. So he got me this two-tone ladies Seiko 5, as it was really, really small, with a really small dial, uh, to try to get me into the hobby. Okay. And uh, later on, like a few years later, my parents got me a Rolex Datejust uh, for my birthday. And I wore that regularly. And then a, a few years later, I started looking at other watches. And it just opened up a world of other cool watches. And so the next one I got was an Orient Bambino small seconds champagne dial. Mm. It reminded me so much of the vintage Omega Seamaster watches. And I was afraid of uh, getting into vintage at that time because Omega watches are expensive. And I wasn't sure if it was going to work well or if I was going to get like a fake watch or a redial or a Franken because I didn't know much about it. So I went with the Orient Bambino Small Seconds. Mm. And then after that, it just nice. started snowballing into more watches. Wow. So your second... So- if I'm understanding this correctly, your second watch ever was a Rolex. Third. My mechanical watch. Got it. Rolex. That's crazy. That's crazy. That must be nice. Yeah. Do you wear that watch? Yeah, it was super nice. Uh, are you... Okay, so for when I got it, I wore it nearly every day to work. And then I started to feel like maybe this having this Rolex on my wrist was making me... Uh, Making my head so big, you know, having oh. it all mm. maybe uh, like I wanted to wear something else 
to see if maybe my confidence is from within, not from what I wear. Mm. Amen to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So, so, so what? What before we move on, people? What was your conclusion? Did you? So you you started feeling a certain way for wearing the Rolex, but then you stopped wearing the Rolex. Did you still feel the the the, the same way uh, that you were still kind of big headed, if you will, or did you go back to normal after wearing a, a different watch? No, uh, I realized my big headedness was from within and not from a watch. Oh, okay, I know cool. that's right. I know that's right. That's what's go. up. That's what's up. R.I.P. Sorry about All right. that. All right. Okay. Who's your biggest influence, watch collector or watch personality? Um, okay. There's no single watch personality or collector that I aspired to follow. So I follow a bunch of people on Instagram, uh, mostly men, but there are some women. But I don't have uh, any particular person that I aspire to follow or aspire to like, copy. I, when I do see something that I like from other people's Instagram accounts, then I check out that particular watch. Um, when it comes to influence, my biggest influence are my parents. Mostly because they are the ones that give me the watches. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lucky with that. Uh, some of my watches are hand-me-downs from my dad, and I do my best to make the most of whatever I'm given. That's super cool. cool. So, so let's talk about your dad's watch collection. Then he hand-me-downs. Well, what does he what does he have in his collection? Actually, he doesn't have any right now. Oh, he gave them all to you. You got them all. <laughs> you got them. He gave them to me. Uh, uh, he back in the '80s when Rolex wasn't in the Philippines yet. He told me that he would buy them in Hong Kong. And then resell it in the Philippines. Mm. Uh, wow. to one of his friends. So that's how he. I remember uh, whenever he was wearing a Rolex, I would see the Cyclops, and I would think, "Oh, why does your why does your watch have a mosquito bite on the dial?" <laughs> mm. Never heard of that before. That's funny. <laughs> so how is he doesn't have any watches except. Mm. How is Rolex uh, perceived in, in the Philippines? Because obviously in every single country, they're perceived a little different. But would it be fair that the Philippines, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, would it be fair to say that it's a third world country, kind of like Mexico, or does it not consider that? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same. Okay. So in Mexico, I know that, for a fact that if you're wearing a Rolex or, or for that matter, even like a, a, a Buloba or Rado that you've kind of quote unquote <clears throat> made it. And, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't want to be walking around with a Rolex in Mexico, you know, let's just, let's just put it that way. I don't want to get my hand cut off or, or, you know, being kidnapped or something. So did you say Bulova? No. Well, Bulova is perceived, also, is a good brand, but I'm saying Rolex. Like, I wouldn't okay. wear a okay. Rolex. Even my Omega. I mean, I don't know if some people know what Omega is in Mexico. I think they do because my, my dad, he knows what it is, and he's not into watches, and I'm pretty sure he did. But anyway, back to my question about the Philippines. How did, Do you feel a certain way about wearing Rolex around town or scared or, or watches in general? Do you even wear a watch in public? or? I, I don't really go to places where 
where it, it's risky. Um, if I know that if it's a safe place, then I feel comfortable wearing my Rolex. But if I'm going to the market or just walking outside, then I would wear something else. Mm. Got it. Yeah, that, that's kind of the sad reality over there, you know, um, not just in the Philippines, but around the world, really, you know, or here in the U.S. too. I mean, there's towns that I probably would not want to wear a watch, not even a Casio or something, just because I'm scared. Oh, yeah, to, no doubt. You know, be, be jumped or be put in a position where it's like, well, if they take my $10 Casio, they could potentially take my more expensive iPhone or my wallet or something like that. Mm. So I, I'm always scared to to kind of be in that position. You know what I mean? But uh, sad reality. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. But um, so we've seen here and there glimpses of your collection, of course. But do you mind really telling us what's in your collection, and and kind of you don't have to say how you got the watches, but maybe what they represent to you, kind of like a quick overview of your collection, if you don't mind. Hmm. Uh... So my watches are, my, my watch collection is a mix of stuff from AliExpress, stuff uh, my dad pa passed down to me, um, and a lot of Japanese, Japanese branded watches. So I have a, um, I've been dabbling into vintage watches lately, and I feel like it's super rewarding to get, to find something that costs uh, that, that I got in such a bargain and have it work well and be super nice. Mm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So I know we, we've yeah. seen Lormatic. Is it a Lormatic? Right? Seiko Lormatic? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you got the Rolex? That was cool. Yeah. Got... I got uh, a Vintage Oris. Is oh, it the Pointer yeah. Date, right? The pointer, pointer date, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, I have a Seagull 1963. I got that earlier on in the collecting journey because it just seems like, it just seems so cool. Like when you look at it and then when you look at the case back, but now it kind of feels like everyone has one. So now yeah. it's, it's not now, as. Now you want to sell it. No, just <laughs> or flip it. <laughs> not you know that, not that... flip or sell, but I don't wear it as much anymore. That's a, well, I don't own that watch, and I was thinking of picking one up, but not this actual seagull. I was thinking of picking up maybe another micro bramble with that uh, ST movement, just mm -hmm. because I think for for the price and for being a Chinese quote unquote produced watch, it has a lot of details, right? And I mean, obviously, they're using the machinery from Switzerland when they bought it from Venus, so it, it has some. Um, I don't know. So some something too. That that's that's the reason I think it it speaks to a lot of people that that see it because it's like oh, this looks like something ten times more expensive. You know, I mean, you look at the 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 case back of a uh, a long and zona, and obviously not even in the same territory. But you you look at that right, and and you feel a certain way by looking at all the bridges and, and just the mechanics of it. So do you get that kind of same feeling when you look at this movement or? I do. I love taking pictures of it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's honestly the reason why I want to get one. Not so much because of the dom, not a big fan of the, of the watch itself, but that movement looks super cool. So. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, 
Like there's a bunch of micro brands using that one. Right. And then open that. Baltic, I think Baltic uses that movement, right? Laurier also uses that. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Gemini. Mm-hmm. They so, what, what? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, you got a couple vintage pieces in your collection. How do you actually feel about like the vintage game? You know what I mean? Is it something that you can see yourself getting more into? Mm. So far, it's been good for me. Uh, maybe 90% of what I get, I'm happy with. Uh, so I think maybe I'll keep getting into vintage, but maybe not for the rest of this year because I finished up my watch budget. <laughs> <laughs> It's depleted. <laughs> it's depleted for 2020. I say the same thing, but I find money somewhere. Peace <laughs> is the same thing every week. And then I, I get a text same. message from, hey, check it out. Look what I just got. But I've been doing good, though. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been doing well, great. I think, look, we're in a category very different than other collectors. I know there's collectors that, so who dinky, right? I mean, you, I listen to their, to their, podcast pretty consistently religiously and they're not getting into the vintage watches like we are right they're not going for the pieces that we are they're talking in the thousands right so then they get into the whole thing with is it a redial and is the, is the numerals right and the hand right and they go into all these small little details but then I think to myself, I'm like, I, I think they need to get into those little details because they're investing so much money that they don't want to be ripped off and they want the watch to retain the value That's true. for resale. But when you get into the category like us, like I said it in my in my latest video for my Auras, my mom, she gave it to me. She paid, I think it was like 150 bucks and then I haggled the guy. So I got it for like 140, which is crazy, right? Because you're like, I just got this really cool Oris watch. It is the original movement. I don't know about anything else. I mean, I've been looking at pictures, trying to do my research, and everything seems kind of legitimate on it. And yeah, it's not the greatest piece. And yeah, the construction is not maybe what a Rolex is, but I'm like, it's 140 bucks. And I have an Oris, and it's a Swiss watch. And I could flex it, quote unquote. And so far, every single time I post a picture on my Instagram or whatever, everybody always says, uh, it's beautiful, you know, it's wonderful, and, and this and that, and they don't need to know how much it costs. I mean, obviously, I'm saying it now. They, they know now. Don't, I really don't it. care, you know, and I'm not, I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not gonna sell it, you know. But um, anyway, I, I, I think to answer your your question, P, um, I, I think that um, that what should we call it? I think that, in my opinion. I don't care about vintage watches. How some people care about vintage watches because it's not an investment for me. And as long as it looks good and I like it, and I know that I didn't spend an arm and a leg on it, I'm cool. Even right. how you feel about that? Same. Yeah. I okay. try to stick to uh, a maximum of two hundred dollars per piece per vintage. Piece, I mean, so if I uh, find someone, if I find something that uh, that fits that price range and looks like it would be worth more i would go and get it that's cool and, and yes. P, how do you how do you uh do you have a budget for vintage watches or i know you're brightling you're gonna get pre-owned right obviously that's gonna be in the thousands but yeah. for typically the, the the stuff that you buy to feed your addiction 
<laughs> just call it what it is. Um, what's what's your budget? What do you? It, it just all depends, man. Like if I see something and I like it and I could buy it, I just get it. You know what I'm saying? If the, if the price is a lot, sometimes I don't go over a hundred dollars. Sometimes I stay below a hundred dollars. Sometimes I may go up to two hundred dollars, but that's really, really where I be looking for them deals, man. I be looking I, for them deals, bro. I agree. I agree. Yeah. No. No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, there we, it's out in the open. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, watches in our collection, everything, do you have a, a grail watch? What's something that you're like, oh man, if um, I ever have that. Okay. So if I could, if money, if I, if I was flowing with money, yep, I would get the Gautier tank Louis. Mm. Great choice. Yeah, but right now it feels um, like, if I buy it, it would be an immediate sunk cost. And I'm not in a position to treat $9,000 as a sunk cost at this time. Mm. Maybe, I, I don't know when, maybe never. So I'll just maybe leave it as is, as just an aspirational watch, not something I'm going to buy. So what would be an attainable grill of yours that you know that you could afford it? you just a matter of saving? I think maybe an uh, Oyster Perpetual. Very nice. Another Rolex. Yeah, hey, nothing wrong with it. Do you like Omega? I do. Uh, not the modern ones, because they look so so busy. Mm. The dial is busy. I like the vintage look, the one with the clean dials. and. Uh, like the Seamasters? Like Omega yeah, the old Seamasters, yeah. yeah those are Beautiful so watches. The modern Beautiful ones. Watches. Yeah, I regret selling mine. I bought a, I think I said it before. So one of my first expensive watches, to be honest with you, was an Omega Seamaster. I forget the caliber, but it was a manual wine movement, had a cream dial, uh, sub-seconds at the six o'clock. And I paid, it was in great condition. I paid like 350 for it, 350 bucks. This is about four years ago. And now I've been looking for that same watch and they're in the $600 mm. range. So they're definitely yeah. going up. Yeah. But I ended up selling it to fund my Omega Speedmaster, my automatic. And and I see that one is going up in value. And it's just kind of crazy. It's like, dang, these prices, they're, they're definitely creeping up in price. Like the vintage market, I don't know if it had anything to do with Paul Newman and, and maybe, or Houdinki, maybe highlighting vintage watches as like things that you need to buy or more attainable pieces. Maybe that's what it is. Because I keep hearing a lot of different people that have been collecting since like, the 90s or 2000s and all of them share the same the same stories like yeah back in the day you know in the 2000s or 90s you could get those vintage watches for 100 bucks or mm-hmm. 90 bucks for close like basically they were giving them away for free you know nobody wanted yeah. them not anymore I noticed that with vintage timex nowadays you know what i mean they really creeping up in price well, it's because of what Timex is doing now, and they're moving in the right, right. direction yeah. with all their, mm-hmm. you know, automatic pieces right. and stuff like that. So, people have the same mentality as we do. Like you remember well, that, uh, you remember that uh, Viscount I had bought, and yeah. you found out what it was. Yep. Right now, somebody's selling that for like seventy bucks, and I got it for two ninety nine. Yep, two dollars and ninety nine. Ninety nine cents. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? So nineteen sixty nine. So it's a trip, man. It's a trip. 
that's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy well just keep your eyes open uh if you're if you're into that, that that's what i keep t telling people you know like my another great example uh my gerard perigo so brand new gerard great Perigos. watch great watch yeah the new ones are way out of my price range i mm -hmm. couldn't afford them but if you look in the vintage market you still get them in the hundreds and right. it's the same manufacturer i mean in-house movement and everything so why not i mean yeah they to some people i guess vintage watches they have two downfalls right from what i've heard number one is the sizing so everybody goes oh no 34 to 36 millimeters that's a girl size that's too small yeah I uh, i'm lucky for that because all, nobody wants the vintage 34 millimeters i want them they, they look good on me all the more for me me too and yeah i wear them shit absolutely mm -hmm. all day mm -hmm. number two they say that they look too old like my wife every time i get a vintage watch she goes that looks like a grandpa watch and it's like could be yeah, it could be could because be. this is what grandpas <laughs> were wearing back in the day i mean what yeah but it's cool it's a collectible it's a classic you know what i mean so can't go wrong with it but yeah if you if you want a big let's just sum it up with this in my opinion, and I think we all share the same feeling, if you want to get into a brand name, explore the vintage world because mm -hmm. that's a great way into getting into that brand without breaking the bank. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Shoot. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So you told us about your collection. Now you told us obviously you're in the Philippines. So what is the the watch scene there in the Philippines? Is, is there such a thing? Do you know? Do you there is. Um, okay. I, I don't feel like I can say much about it because I don't go out much. I'm not in any local watch group because uh, I think they're mostly uh, they're mostly guys and I don't feel comfortable going into a group when it's all just guys. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, my current friends, they're also not as into watches enough that they would go to meetups. We don't have anything like that. Uh, I know that Seiko is uh, quite big here. There's a Seiko Watch Club Philippines and I've seen some pictures on their Facebook page or Instagram and it's like a whole restaurant, just hundred percent guys. Oh. <laughs> well, we need to change yeah. that. We need. We definitely need to change that. I I know that uh, ten and two our friends over at ten and two have definitely made waves, massive waves in the watch community, and I applaud them for that because we definitely need more women in this hobby. And this is so crazy that something that's a fashion accessory is like a men dominated hobby. And I, I get the whole mechanical aspect of it because that's obviously more guide driven, but the aesthetics, I mean, how can girls not get into these watches and maybe they do, but not to the, they don't obsess over them. Like men do. They just look at it as like, Oh, that's just a fashion accessory. I put it on, take it off. I don't care what's in it. I don't care what's powering it. As a matter of fact, I don't even care if it has a battery in it. As long as it looks pretty, I'll put it on my wrist and it, it goes with my outfit. At least, that's the way I'm, I'm looking at it because that's how my wife looks at it. You know, she doesn't care about what goes on behind the scenes. So, but what... Because our attention is so divided. Because we have clothes, shoes, bags, jewelry, 
Purses. Yeah. More purses. <laughs> purses. Shit. Among among my uh, friends, it's mostly purses. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. As a woman collector, do you gravitate more towards women's watches or men's watches? Mm. Uh, right now, I gravitate towards smaller, more refined pieces rather than the big bulky ones. So I don't own an SKX and I've never been attracted to those Submariner type watches. Mm. I, used have, um, I used to have watches bigger than 40 millimeters, but I realized I prefer watches to be 38 millimeters and below. Mm. I also like dressier pieces because they go well with my office professional aesthetic, I feel. Right. Uh, thankfully, vintage more vintage watches have a very dressy look to them and the case case sizes are pretty small so oh yeah yeah so you said you had watches bigger than 40 millimeters yep may i ask what brands those were uh uh, one is a tw steel Mm -hmm. so big on my wrist uh I used to like bigger watches because they made my wrist look thin. So that in turn kind of made me feel like I was a bit skinnier than I really was. Uh, but now I, I, I feel like they're so chunky and, and mm-hmm. there's such a, I don't know what's the word. Annoyance. Yeah, yeah. they are very yeah. annoying to be on the wrist. Intrusive. Right. You know, it's it's so funny. I feel the same way when I wear. I was wearing yesterday. I was wearing my Bulova Lunar Pilot, and I love that watch for what it is. Right, the history and it's like the 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 watch that nobody knows about per se. Right, it's all about the Omega Speedmaster, and that thing is huge. I, I wore mm-hmm. it for a few hours, and I was like, "Dang, this thing is so like intrusive. Like, it doesn't matter how I move my wrist. It just feel like it's it's heavy and it's just too much." But then when I wear a watch like this, right the SAR it just fits so perfect and it's like yeah that makes sense that it was all the Panerai rage in the 2000s and it was moving to like bigger 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 watches and then Nixon I don't know if you guys seen that that brand mm-hmm. is ridiculous it's like having a dinner plate on your arm and it just doesn't make any sense not even it, it looks ugly in my opinion it just looks ugly it looks dumb you know but but yeah anyway that's my two cents but how yeah dare you not like the Submariner style uh, pot, uh, watches. I think we are we are ending this episode because that is... No, I'm just kidding. That's funny. No, most, most people, most collectors gravitate towards that aesthetic, I would say, just because the Rolex Submariner is such an iconic watch. And every single watch brand, it seems like, wants to copy that aesthetic in a way or another. You know, mm-hmm. but it's but it's funny. But I would recommend. I know you're a Seiko fan. The SKX zero one three. It's not the 007, it's smaller, but it's super expensive. And we'll talk about the main topic. We'll talk about Seiko and where they're going. But uh, but I do have one last question for you. So uh, I want to know because uh, I kind of know in the U.S. and obviously Mexico a little bit, but. What is one watch brand that is highly regarded in the Philippines? Rolex. Really? Okay. Hmm. I seriously would have thought Rado for whatever reason. Is that more in no. other parts of the world? Mm. 
I think more in other parts of the world. So Rolex is killing it everywhere. Yeah. Well, Rolex is a machine. They're a marketing machine, man. I mean, well, let me, okay, let me ask you something. So you own a Rolex and you have mm-hmm. other watches in your collection. Yeah. Do you think that Rolex is overhyped or do you think they deserve the hype that they have? I think they deserve the hype that they have. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. I think like, if you have a company and you've worked hard on it for the last hundred years and you've, uh, and you've done a good job with the marketing, you deserve everything that you're getting right now. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Here's one thing that bothers me. So obviously I watch a lot of videos, a YouTuber, and I, I, I look at my peers and I, you know, some, some people do an amazing job with the videography and they get into this macro level of, of, of different details. And I see a lot of companies out there that have uh, great details, not just on the watch, but on the movement itself as well. You know, Omega being one of them. I mean, they, they take the time to decorate their movements and make everything very... Uh, pretty and on top of that you know cost certified and all that and meta certified for for that matter with with omega yet if you look at a rolex watch you never see the movement and when you do see the movement it's not pretty at all i mean it's great because it keeps great time and and it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a watch that you know is gonna it's gonna last a long time and it's gonna be good but the finishing is not there when looking at watches, in my opinion, the small details count, right? Mm-hmm. Every little small detail counts. So something as a finishing on the movement, to me, it's a big deal. So to see these Batmans and Kermits and Hulks being traded for almost $20,000, like, it's a little crazy to me because it's like, it's a steel watch at the end of the day. It's not a precious metal watch and you can't even see the movement on it. So all you can see is what you have in your hands. I just don't think... It's worth the price, you know. I might be wrong, but to me, I think Rolex is is a little overhyped. They're an amazing watch. It's a watch that I aspire to own at, at one point in my lifetime for sure, hundred percent. But I think they're a little overpriced, in my opinion. I think they're. I think they're overpriced. Yeah, but I, uh, I get the the like everything else behind it, not just the product, but the network. The, the way Rolex is treated as like an alternative currency. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if sense. you do everything, you can sell your Rolex and get pretty much whatever you paid for or more. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost like what, they, what a lot of people say, it's almost like global currency. So mm-hmm. if you're stuck in, in the middle of nowhere, people know what a Rolex is and maybe it will get you a meal and get you water or get you save that. Uh, I hope it gets you more than a meal. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if you're in a place where you, you're going to die, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's, you're paying $10,000 for a meal <laughs> or $15,000 or whatever. But Wouldn't you die before that, though? <laughs> yeah, you're Rolex. like, I'm not getting rid of Rolex. I'd rather die. Right, uh, right. No, thank you. And all I get is a meal. Yeah, let me let me check Chrono Twenty Four before I make that decision. Right? <laughs> Do I get free meals? Do I get free Popeyes for the next five years? 
Do you guys have Popeyes in in uh, in the Philippines? Oh, we do. We do. Ooh. I I knew KFC was kind of a global thing, but I didn't I know the Popeyes was a thing. I don't even know why I said Popeyes. I can't stand Popeyes, but <laughs> if you hungry, you eat anything. You gotta you gotta feed into your stereotype. Eat fried chicken because you're oh, you fuck know that. that. You fuck gotta that. you gotta feed fuck into that. that. Nah, Popeyes ain't it. It's not it. I love fried chicken. Ooh, fried chicken's the best. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but have you tried Jollibee Chicken Joy? Who? I don't think mm-hmm. there's something. Do you have Jollibee there? In California, we do have a few chains. I don't think P knows what that is. No. Okay. Yeah, you, you that try Jollibee is, next time. That mm-hmm. mascot is, is huge in the Philippines. I saw one of your one of your posts, right? It's like a bee or something. Yeah, that's uh, Jollibee. Jolly B, right? So it's yeah. the B's like the, the it's the B. It's the B. It's the business. Oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, it, I, I, you know what? Did I try it? I tried something from there. I was working at a company once and they brought bread or something. I forgot what it was, but it was pretty good. I was like, dang, that's pretty good. I, I forgot what it was. But uh, anyway, segueing into, into value and, and Rolex and the way it's perceived and how much money is worth, let's talk about Seiko. For, mm-hmm. for a minute. So as we all know, Seiko's trying to move up market with all their new releases, everything. They don't want to be perceived as the entry-level brand, if you will. They want to be positioned a, a little bit higher. And, and I agree and I disagree. I disagree in a sense that for such a long time, Seiko has been the watch that people gravitate towards, right? Any YouTube video you watch, it's always there. They always recommend a Seiko as your entry-level watch or whatever. But obviously, the other side of me now that I own Seikos and they're moving up market, I'm kind of happy because now it's it's going to gain a little bit more money, if you will. Like my Sarb is crazy how much they're worth now. And I'm like, what the heck? Would I pay mm-hmm. that? Probably not. You know, I paid like 350 for it or something, but I wouldn't pay more. But there's this auction. Now, let me see if I could pronounce it right. I know uh, Eve sent us the right pronunciation for this. Bonhams. Bonhams? Bonhams. 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 Whatever. Bonhams. <laughs> it's in, is it in Hong Kong? Right? It's in Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong. Yeah. Hong Kong. Auction. So, mm-hmm. brief history about this. So, they're, they've been around for, for a minute now. Um, years, I think. 100 years something like that i I forgot how long they they've been in in business but for close to 100 years and uh basically it's just an auction house and what they have they have this thing called making waves i think it's the the making waves uh, auction is is live until august 25th august 25th 2020 now the controversy around this so they they went live with this they have a uh, a lot of vintage and some modern Seiko watches in the auction. But when they went live, a lot of the Seiko fanboys and enthusiasts looked at these watches in their collection and said, hey, a lot of them are Franken watches and you call them out for it. Auction went down. I guess they removed those said watches from the auction and the auction is back live. So sure, you know, that's what happens. You would hope that an auction house do their homework before posting things up for sale because it's their reputation on the line. But I know that even Philips and some other auction houses have sold quote unquote replica watches or things that were Mm -hmm. 
not a hundred percent authentic because of the Franken aspect of it. So it happens to everybody. I, I, I get that. And that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on and I want to get you guys' opinion on is the prices that they're selling these watches at. So there was one here that was for the Olympics, right? It's the one I want to focus on. It is the Seiko chronograph what they call the tokyo summer olympic 1964 it was a rare model um and basically they're projecting that it's going to sell between 13,000 to 26,000 dollars so far i think it's at 13,000 dollars so how do you guys feel about number one an auction just based around seiko only and furthermore the fact that they're selling for thousands of dollars for Seiko's. I mean, I, I think Seiko deserves something like this. But when they say extremely rare, how rare is it? Like, how many of them are in the world? You know what I mean? Like, if it's from the Summer Olympics of 1964, like, I, I don't even remember that. I wasn't even born, as a matter of fact. So, you know, like, how rare are these things? How rare is the movement? You know what I mean? Case and all that. I mean, $13,000, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. And the, the crazy thing about it is, is it's going to sell. You know what I mean? Like, regardless, it's going to sell. I, I would really be interested in how rare this thing is. And it doesn't say. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through the description, and it basically just says that there's not many examples. It says, and I quote, there are only a handful of 5718 8000 examples known to exist in the market mm. only one other example released at auction as of today so despite the limited information in the market for this watch due to its rarity with the great help from the Seiko expert and collector Gerard Donovan we were able to find the detail of this model, which was featured in the 1964 edition of an internal Zuga magazine. So, yeah, we they don't even know how many examples. So it must be that rare. Wow. What about you, Eve? How do you feel about it? Well, I, I didn't really think much about it. <laughs> but I, I mean, when it comes to watches above a certain threshold. Yep. I don't really think about them much anymore because I'm not going to buy them. Uh, they don't have that much impact on my life. But I do like that if they are going to be able to sell these Seiko watches for a premium, then it would raise all of the existing watches that we already own for future uh future higher value, I guess. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Especially like like you said for the SARB, the SKX. Um and even my um SNE zero three nine, which I don't think they make no more. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I could definitely see a lot of these pieces going up in prices. For real. Well you see what uh Pawn Newman did for Rolex. I mean as soon as that thing sold for the amount of money that it did a lot of the vintage pieces just went through the roof. And I mean, and they continue to Rolex as a whole is just super getting too expensive. It, it's not really attainable anymore. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. 
the question really isn't well i guess there's two two parts to this question number one our role if this thing sells for as much money as it is and and people get wind of it uh our price is going to go up on the vintage market for for seiko not just grand seiko but seiko right um and number two i guess the question would be is it deserved because we all know that seiko the finishing and everything is not in par with the rolex we we, we know that obviously i've seen a lot of flaws in my skx and my sarb and stuff like that nonetheless you gotta you gotta take pride in what you own and pride in seiko because everything is made in house not much can be said for many watches in the market you know a lot of micro brands borrow movements from seiko right right and they're right. being sold at a lot more money than than Seiko's are being sold for, right. you know. So see, that that's the thing though with this auction, like, like for instance, the one from the Olympics in nineteen sixty four, is like, does it even have the quality of a high end luxury piece, and I'm paying over thirteen thousand dollars for it, or am I just paying for something that's just rare? You know what I mean? Like, just because it's rare, that don't mean shit to me. You know what I mean? Like, what is the quality? You know, is it on par with Rolex? No, no. You know what I mean? Is it worth thirteen thousand? That's the question, right? I mean, I, I don't know. That's why I'm a little confused because I'm. I mean, look, I, I I do think that Seiko is undervalued. I think that they should be worth a little bit more, but not thirteen twenty thousand dollars worth. Even the Grand Seikos, right? Um, like the Snowflake. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it's been creeping up on, 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 on the secondary market, but it's not even worth $10,000. Right. Um, however, the finishing and everything, I mean, it's well-deserved, it's, you know, in-house well, nice. and everything. But, but I think that's what makes Seiko and Grand Seiko so attractive, that they're kind of like the underdog of the watch world and you buy it because it's almost like you're part of this club where you're like, I know this is worth a lot more and it, and it punches above his, his price point and I'm wearing something that I'm a watch enthusiast, you know, but that's the thing is Seiko trying to move up market so much that people are going to be um, turned off by it because it's, it's, I, I look at the new Seiko five line, right? For instance, and sure, they made some improvements or whatever, but the price point is kind of crazy. And then mm. they take away the ISO certification, which the SKX has. And I don't know. It just didn't really do it for me. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. But I don't yeah. know. I mean, how do you guys as, as, as Seiko watch owners, do you hope the Seiko market keeps creeping up to the point where it's going to be very unobtainable or you want it to? I don't, want, I don't want it to creep up. I want it to always be obtainable. I don't want it to creep up to where I can't even buy Seiko 5. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is crazy, right? Because old Seiko 5s, you could get them for less than 100 bucks, but all the well, new Seiko 5s? My vintage Seiko 5, I got for $29. Yeah, but all the well, new I keep ones. Well, I keep throwing out my prices and shit. <laughs> I know. Whenever you want to resell your watches, good luck. Right. Let me just shut up. Let me just be quiet. Go ahead. <laughs> So Eve, how do you feel about it? I like that. Okay, I don't like that. I I won't be able to buy newer ones anymore because they're so expensive. But I do like that the ones that I already have will potentially 
grow in value later on. Right, yeah. So right now I'm just buying whatever nice Seiko watches I can get. And hopefully in the next generation, I can pass them on to my, uh, to my descendants and it would be treated as an heirloom piece. Wow. That's a great True way of that. looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, right? In our lifetime is like Seiko. I, I guess that's what I was trying to get at, right? Like, I guess at the, at the end of the day is like the way that we look at Seiko now or have for the past years have been, oh, it's an entry level piece. It's almost like a citizen. It was well, comparable to a citizen. It's just something you get if you just want to quote unquote, okay, watch and good watch and it's affordable. But to think that potentially our, our Seiko's, Lormatic and Spives and SKX or whatever, 20, 30, 40 years from now, maybe they're worth thousands of dollars, which is crazy to think of. Is that going to happen? I don't um, know. Do I think they're worth that much money? Maybe not because of the construction and everything, but maybe I'm thinking that way because that's the way that it's been for so long, right? Because I guarantee that if the same watch company did the same thing, but it had a Swiss made on the logo, it wouldn't be worth 300 bucks. It'll be worth $1,200, you know? Perfect example, Mm. let's take uh, Oris. It's your entry-level piece, nothing too crazy about it. And I mean, an Oris 65 is what? 12, 1400 bucks. Yeah. What's so special about it? You tell me, I I don't know. It's made in Switzerland, I guess, and they have a cute bear as their mascot. I mean, okay. I'm not dissing Oris. Obviously, I love Oris, but I'm just I'm just giving the 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 perception here, you know. And now, if we're talking German watches, I know they're kind of underappreciated in the in the watch world or whatever. But a lot of those pieces are expensive, right? Like the Nomos, oh, Nomos. Young Hands, the Max Bill, and all those. They're affordable, quote unquote, but they're not Seiko affordable, you know? So mm-hmm. why, does, why does Japan get the short end of the stick is what I want to know. You know, maybe, maybe they did and, and for a long time, and that's why Seiko got pissed off. And here's, a, here's a, a crazy thought, and maybe this is just reaching, but do you think Seiko had anything to do with this auction? You think they partnered with I was going to ask that. You never know. I was going to ask that. But they pro- if they did, we'd never know. Yeah. I, come out. I never thought about it. Well, well, think about that. I mean, they, they, they're purposely moving up market, discontinuing the Alpinist and reintroducing it as a, a, a prospects line or whatever and charging mm-hmm. so much more money and didn't, didn't really do much to it. It wouldn't be crazy to think that they had something to do with this auction. I mean, controversy around it makes me think that they didn't, you know, because they wouldn't want to be surrounded around the Frankenwatch thing, but maybe they did. And maybe they did that on purpose to, so people would think that like, oh no, if they were involved, that never would have happened. Right. Maybe they did it on purpose. Who knows? I don't think it would be surprising if we found out they was involved with it. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, because they're they making buku money off of some of these watches if they can get them sold. And it's actually like some pieces in here, like ranging from $770 to $1,500. You know what I mean? Um, oh, they're not all crazy. They're not all crazy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I saw, I, I can't 
find it right now, but I, I saw a 62 Moss AMS. And I know those things are trading like crazy. I've seen a few posts from people yeah. on Instagram. They want like over a thousand dollars for those watches. Yeah, these are going. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. A rare, highly collectible stainless steel 62 Mons divers wrist with date and large crown. U.S. Uh, 1900 to 3900. Yeah, exactly. You see? So, yeah. But I mean that that has so much so much history to it, and pretty much all the new Seiko divers. That's their dad or granddad or whatever. I mean, right. it's, it's so much, so much there. You know, I would love to own 62 Moss. Obviously, Eve wouldn't because she doesn't like the look of those watches. Right. I think that's pretty rugged looking watch. So very squared and everything. But uh, do you, speaking of vintage and, and, and Seiko, have you guys seen, because I've been doing a lot of research, I, I definitely want to get into a vintage kind of JDM model. I've been looking at the vintage Grand Seiko. Vintage King, King Seiko, vintage uh, Lormatic. So mm -hmm. you have a Lormatic in your collection, uh, Eve. Do you see the quality in that being different than your other Seiko watches? The Lormatic feels much more substantial than than my Seiko Five SNKL Forty Five. And, and it's a vintage piece from the yes seventies. Seventies. Okay. That's super I also cool. have a King Seiko uh, for something from the seventies. It feels it feels very solid. What you actually have a, a King Seiko in the collection as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the high beat, or is it high beat? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thirty six thousand. Yeah. UPH. Yep. That's awesome. See, P. That's that's. People are sleeping on that, but also right. I've noticed the prices have been creeping up because about a year ago, year and a half ago, I was looking at them, right? Like a King Seiko. And I think they were in mm -hmm. the low hundreds and now they're like in the four or five hundred. So right. this is my fear. My fear is this auction is going to end. People are going to get wind of it. Everybody in Japan is going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're selling these vintage King Seikos and Grand Seikos for five, six hundred bucks. Hell no. Let's change the right. pricing structure here. Let's sell them for a thousand dollars, and then it's like, oh, okay, never mind. I, I'm not gonna get one anymore, you know. So, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword, right? So, I have two days until the auction closes. You better buy it, right? Let me go convince yeah, my wife now. to go get a, a vintage <laughs> Grand Seiko or King Seiko. Mm -hmm. No, it's so cool. And and you know what? The, the I try to do a lot of research on these things, and there's not a lot of information available. And the information that there is is like, is it from a trustworthy site? I don't know. It's from a blog from a guy that I don't know who he is. You know, so it, it's the whole thing about watch collecting and vintage watch collecting that there's just so much information that you need to learn. And but yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, I just wanted to, I've been wanting to talk about that, uh, that auction for a while and get people's perception on it. And I'm so happy that I'm talking about that with two people that I know really like Seiko. So that's, that's cool that, that, that we're definitely talking about it. It's but, weird that they position in Seiko like this, though. Ain't it, ain't it kind of weird? Like, like oh a Seiko God. only auction? or Nah, just some of the, the prices, like. Well, I don't know where they're coming up with the prices, you know, like I said, it's, it's a little fishy and, and I don't know how, how true this is. I mean, look, for all I know, we're making all these assumptions about um, the prices shooting up or whatever, but maybe we're completely wrong. 
you know, maybe they don't affect the market. Maybe everybody just kind of has the same sentiment that this is all made up. Maybe. I don't know. You know how, um, and with like a few generations ago, the, I heard from someone, I think it was Jean-Claude Biver, that, uh, that Rolex was usually the, the watch worn by the chauffeur, while Patek is the one worn by the guy sitting at the back. Correct. Yeah, I think he's the one so, that said that. Mm. So it takes generations to uh, try to get yourself up market. So I think maybe Seiko is just starting the, the work to do that now. And then maybe in 10, 20 years, it's going to be like Rolex, depending on how well, how well they do all these market marketing. It could be. Yeah, no, I, it could be, could, could be, be, but we'll see. Only time will tell. But uh, anyway, I guess we're in that uh, part of the show when we talk about other things. So if you guys want to share something special, something, movie, food, or a- anything you want to talk about, it, go for it, Eve. You want to start us off? Go ahead, yeah. EVE. Mm. <laughs> uh, a few days ago, I started season, season five of Lucifer. Have you guys watched Lucifer? Nope. No, I want to get into it though. Okay, it's a, uh, it's based on this DC comics where Lucifer is uh, in LA because he's tired of hell and he <laughs> starts helping the police solve crimes. It's a very light show. Mm. Uh, it used to be on regular TV, and then they moved it to Netflix. And when it, I think when it came to Netflix the quality of the show got better, the storytelling. There's less filler episodes uh, because in the regular TV, there, there has to be like 24, 22 episodes each season. But now since it's on Netflix, there's like 10 or like significantly less episodes per season. So it's, a mu- it's in a much better pace. Okay, cool. So you recommend it for, for people to check it out? Yeah. Okay. What's up? Okay, Pete. Um. Well, you already know what I did. I listened to the new Nas album. How is that? Because I, I, yeah. Fire. Fire. I tell you, it's fire, man. A lot of diss tracks on there, or what? No, 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 no. Nah, it's uh, I I don't know what it is about people uh. Sometimes I feel like I don't always want to hear like you know what's going on in the world today. Sometimes I just want to hear some gangster shit. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I don't want to hear about you know what I'm saying, Corona. I don't want to hear about yeah. uh, Black Lives Matter. I, I mean those things matter. But sometimes I just want to hear some some flat out gangster shit where I could just zone out yeah, this is what I'm talking about. And and that's what Nas gave us. Any collaborations on there? Yeah, uh Lil Dirk. Um who else is on there? Uh Fivio Favo. I think that's his name. Brucey e. B. Um Big Shine. Uh Charlie Wilson from the Gap Band. So he, he got a few features on there, man. 
but no big names. Well, I mean, Big Sean's a, a big name, but Jay Z, Eminem. Nah, no Jay Z, no Eminem. Nah, I'm just kidding. That, that would have Look at this guy; he's getting upset now. <laughs> but nah, it's off the hook, man. Check it out. I'll check it out. Definitely check it, check out. it out. Um, sure. one show I recommend that we got recommended. It's only one season and they won't make a second season. It was based on a book. It's Defending Jacob. Um, you could find that show on Apple TV. That's how we found it. Mm-hmm. And it basically has uh, the main character is Chris Evans. Of course, everybody knows him as Captain America. And then Jaden Martell, the kid from Stranger Things, and Michelle Dockery. I don't know what other things she came out in, but... It's, it's an Abby. Oh, okay. So you know her? You know who she is? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a great show. It's a great show. So basically, uh, uh, the, the premise is, is there's a murder at, at a school. And basically, the parents are defending this kid because they're accusing him of murder. So I'll leave it at that. I don't, I don't know how to not say mm. spoilers. So it was a good show. Have you seen it, Eve? You're kind of shaking your not head. Yet, not yet. Oh, okay. Have I don't want to see it? it. No, no. Defending Jacob. I, I recommend Defending it. Jacob. Acting's in, yeah, acting's incredible. Obviously, Chris Evans does an amazing job, and, and that kid as well, Stranger Things. Uh, which, by the way, I'm excited about Stranger Things. I think they're not filming yet, but do you guys watch Stranger Things? Yes, I do. definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. my God. I absolutely definitely. Here in California, yeah. in L.A., downtown L.A., they're going to have for Halloween a drive through experience. is $59 per car. We just got wind of this. And basically, you're going to be driving into the mall. They're going to recreate the mall and everything. So we want to go. The only thing is we got to find a babysitter for our son because LA's not around the corner for us. It's about maybe two-hour drive. But, man, yeah, we, 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 we love Stranger Things. So we definitely want to go. He can't go with you? Yeah, uh, He'll probably get freaked out. He's five years old. Oh, so I'm yeah. pretty sure the Demogorgon will probably <laughs> – <laughs> we don't want to risk it. We don't want to. Nah, that's too scary for him. So. Oh, my niece was watching uh, Stranger Things, and she didn't get scared of the Demogorgon. She's six. Really? Yeah. Wow. No, my son was watching Jurassic Park, and he was getting a little weird with the dinosaurs. So we're like, all right, because mm. we don't. We typically don't watch a lot of TV. And when we do, we've been very cautious as to what we watch. So he's always on YouTube watching cartoons and things of like animals. And he doesn't get exposed to violence or anything like that. And we don't curse at home. So even that. But we know it's going to be maybe culture shock for him when he goes to school. And all the other kids are saying all these bad words and maybe showing him weird things. But uh, anyway, uh, it's inevitable. We, We understand and we're, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, we, we wouldn't take them. I know my wife would be 100% opposed to that, but I definitely want to go. So, <laughs> But anyway, uh, Eve, where can people find you, follow you? Uh, on Instagram, is at alias.stevedan. And on YouTube, it's just alias Steve Dan. Just type in alias Steve Dan. And alias is the two L's, one L? Uh, one L. One L. Okay. Alias Steve Dan. Go check her out. Um, yes. I, think, I think you definitely deserve more subscribers on your YouTube channel. You do an Aww. amazing job. But oh, yeah. We sure. all know Thank as YouTubers, you. we all know it's a struggle. It's just ridiculous, you know, whatever. And it, it's just crazy to me. Some people have so many subscribers and they're not that great. But <laughs> whatever. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a hater. 
It's just, it is what it is, you know? And we, we work so hard, but we'll get there. You know, oh, shit. Where can people find you? They can't. They can't. They can't. Okay, perfect. They can't. Ross Wristwatch Love everywhere. Facebook, uh, YouTube, Instagram. Bang. All right. And me, SoCal Watch Reviews. Uh, Instagram, um, YouTube, and then Relojeando is my Spanish channel. Uh, Relojeando. Yeah. Ah, you were close. You were close. We got 516 subscribers there, so it's, it's definitely growing. I got to show it a little more love. I need to translate my latest YouTube video, the Oris one. It's a lot of work, guys. I mean, I need to translate the whole thing, then do the audio in Spanish, and do the whole thing with the editing. So I work twice as hard, but it's cool to see the support from, my, from that community, from the Hispanic community, and, and they do have a lot of questions because there is no Spanish channels like there is in the English market. There's some, but they're not even close to like watch finder quality and, or nothing. So I'm, I'm glad to say that I'm one of the few in the Hispanic community that does like the B-roll and the things that I do. And people really like that. So I want to definitely grow and cater to my to my community, if you will. So yeah. anyway, that's what it is. Eve, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so yes, much ma'am. for having me. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hopefully we can have you in the future. I mean, we, we're just getting started at 38 episodes. So, so yeah, anyways, my friends, thank you to all. Thank you, you. Thank you to the audience. Please support us. Uh, if you you listen to this on Apple, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It definitely helps. So, anyway, as always, Cheer. my friends, uh, thank you and stay humble. Yeah.